Hi, and welcome to a Nectar conversation. I am your host, Pascal Tremblay, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Nectar. It's a psychedelic wellness platform that helps support people along their journey, healing and exploring psychedelic medicines. And today I'm joined by my really good friend, uh, Chris Rodman. Uh, Chris Rodman is the founder of Rise and Shine, uh, Adventures and Awakening. He's a Nectara guide. Um, he's an integration and preparation coach. Um, and amongst other things, he's also a beautiful father and, and husband to a wonderful partner uh, here in the Kootenays. Um, me and Chris first met around, I feel like two, three years ago, Chris, we met at a, a ceremony where um, I was sitting around a campfire and this this guy came up with uh, his son in his arm uh, and said hi. And I was like, oh, hi. And, and uh, did, little did I know that he was kind of vetting me to take care of his son for the night while he was attending a, a ceremonial space and um, spend the, the night with taking care of his son. And um, ever since then, we've been developing a deep friendship and um, consider him a brother and love him dearly. And he's an awesome person and um, someone I highly respect. And I'm really thrilled to have him on the podcast. Hi, Chris. Ah. Oh. Beautiful. Thanks, Pascal. <laughs> Great to be Welcome. here. Yeah, Thank it's you. nice to have you. Um, one of the things that I've always loved about Chris and also part of his background that I, makes me respect him even more is that he's a, a forest wildfire um, a person. Like, what's the right word for that? I'm not sure, but uh, he he has a long history of fighting forest fires and I just highly respect that work. And I, I'm interested in, in weaving that in the conversation today as well and in terms of how it relates to medicine work and, and walking a journey of, of healing. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah, I've got some, some sweet analogies that I can riff on with, with the wildfire work. <laughs> mm -hmm. As the fires burn within us, as they burn without. Um, uh, so Chris, I one of the things that I, I always see in you is like a deep um, walking of the path. Like you're really someone that's your life is medicine and you're dedicated to the path so much, like more so than almost anyone I've ever met. Uh, medicine is weaved into your life. It's weaved into your relationships. It's weaved into your, your work. It's weaved into um, your life in a very deep and connected way. Um, you're, dedication to the space is uh, unrivaled in a way um, in terms of not only to the space and your work, but also as to yourself in terms of how you're um, walking life and how you're, you're um, looking within um, to better serve people. And you spend a number of years doing this type of work and um, we can go more into kind of the experiences that have led you to this, this place today. But um, can you tell us more about Chris as a as a as a young boy and where he came from and how was your environment and and how was your experience growing up? Yeah, sure. Um, well, that was a pretty gracious assessment of my orientation, and uh, thanks for that. Uh, appreciate that experience of me. Um, I was born in Vancouver, uh, first of four and uh, brought up in North Van. Um, pretty staunch Catholic upbringing. I went to a Catholic school for grades five, six, and uh, seven. And then after that, my folks, thank God, uh, moved to the Kootenays and uh, spent mm -hmm. the rest of my upbringing just outside the 
Nelson. And um, yeah, by and large, you know, I have had an extraordinary upbringing, a lot of gratitude for the way I was raised. Um, I couldn't be here now in with my current orientation to life if everything hadn't unfolded precisely the way it did. Um, mm -hmm. uh, however, at the end of, as I was getting towards the end of high school, um, I wasn't necessarily feeling like the, the direct communion that uh, all of the prayer and all of the uh, dogma, let's say, of, of the um, religion was was hinting at and um mm -hmm. i i felt there was there was something more and um i turned to the internet and turned to science and started looking at the you know the farthest reaches of science i was looking at quantum mechanics and quantum physics and um the law of conservation of energy, you know, energy is neither created nor destroyed, but changes from one form to another. And, uh, that gave me some element of like nature of the soul and, mm -hmm. uh, what happens after death. I was starting to kind of question, have questions along those lines. Um, I was reading Michael Creighton, who was a super influential author for me at that time, in particular through his books, uh, Jurassic Park and the lost world. And, uh, -huh. uh <laughs> When I was a kid, actually, dinosaurs were one of my favorite things. I thought I was going to be a paleontologist. Um, I, I did too, actually. I, did right? I used to dig up fossils and next to my school, I was in love with the pro. Yeah, I loved it. So yeah, that's something new I'm learning from you today. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah, thunder lizards, dinosaurs, the best. It was so much fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of imagination and uh, it's fantastical to imagine those creatures once having walked on the earth. So Michael Creighton, as we all know, weaves this story, or if you don't know, check out Jurassic Park, <laughs> read the book. <laughs> the movies miss a lot of the, uh, the gold that was in the books. And anyways, the gold for me was uh, the mathematician talked about chaos theory and sensitivity to initial conditions. And, you know, the idea that the, the flapping of a butterfly's wings in Nelson could cause a thunderstorm in New York city. Um, and, uh, also talked about, you know, order out of chaos and, uh, the whole fractal geometry and, um, mm -hmm. all those different elements came forth from, from, uh, this idea of, of chaos theory and also the principle of, uh, self-organization, how there's, uh, this, this inclination for life to self-organize. And then from there also, there's the elements of Fibonacci and the golden ratio and, and all of these just extraordinary facets that make up our existence. I was very much inspired and informed by, and um, really fed my understanding to uh, my growing understanding, let's say of, of the universe and uh, mm -hmm. what this is all about. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I went into college uh, and then university, I ended up studying kinesiology. Um, it's an interesting story. I initially started with first year sciences, was thinking I might get into engineering and uh, was on my way home from 
school one day and I picked up this guy hitchhiking and he uh, had just gotten back from Costa Rica and man, did he look chill and pretty happy. <laughs> and uh, I thought that's, that's what I'm going to do. So I dropped out. I was like, I'm going to Costa Rica. Um, wow, that's like the most like poignant hitchhiker changing my life story I've heard so far. Like someone that you've met along the highway or whatever, um, change your life in a huge way. Like I love the stories about this first person that inspired someone to just make that one degree shift, or in your case, maybe a ten degree shift towards something that was calling them so beautifully. It's amazing. It was quite impactful. It definitely planted a seed, but. As it turned out, I never made it to Costa Rica after that. I, I was 17, uh, just finished high school. I, you know, it could have happened, but I didn't have a lot of the support that I needed to really get it to go. And I ended up taking a job at this this place in town. And uh, I was working next to this bodybuilder who went to the gym that I was going to. And we started jamming on supplements and exercises and how to optimize recovery and all these different things. And what I realized in hanging out with him was that if I was going to go to university and study anything, why not study the human body? You know, we've all got one. Um, it'll be with me till the end of time. May as well learn a few things about it. And um, I had a few other sort of influential pieces in, in relationship to that happening with me at the gym that I was going to. I was introduced to Paul Czech and the Czech Institute and... Uh, so I went on and studied kinesiology, and I also started to do some courses with Paul Czech. The first one was in golf biomechanics, and uh, Paul mm -hmm. Czech is this super, he kind of popularized the Swiss ball, um, those big round exercise balls that you see everywhere in gyms now. And uh, he also had a, a profoundly holistic approach to um, health and uh it was really inspiring for me and you know talked a lot about posture and muscle alignment and a lot of really practical elements that I didn't necessarily get while studying a kinesiology degree. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the courses he offered was a holistic lifestyle coaching course and the instructor for that course was J.P. Sears, uh, red, oh, wow. <laughs> redheaded guy who does the, the spiritual yeah. satire. Yeah. Um, he's become quite a figure and, uh, JP and I really clicked and, um, he was mentioning one of his mentors, this man, John McMullen, whose, uh, webpage is journeys of wisdom. And, um, that felt appealing to me. So while at university, they were going to do this semester abroad in China, which it didn't end up going in that particular year. And I was disappointed. Like, oh, I wanted to go do this semester abroad in China, but it didn't fly. So instead, I, I'm going to go do this workshop with John McMullen. So I go down to San Diego and I meet up with JP and I ended up staying at his place during this workshop. And uh, at one point in the workshop, John says to me, he goes, you're not, you're not 25. I think I was 23 at the time, um, <laughs> 38 now for the record. <laughs> and uh, he goes, I think when you're 25, you're going to find love. It's like, oh, all right, <laughs> cool. Well, that mm -hmm. could mean anything. I'm not going to get excited about, you know, my ideas of what that might mean. But mm -hmm. um, as it turns out, when I was 25, that's when I first met ayahuasca. And 
it was a particularly unique context, but I'll rewind a little bit and also say that uh, my studies in, in the sciences and the quantum mechanics and all that started to weave back into the nature of mind being one of the most influential factors on our health and our experience of life. And um, mm -hmm. I started touching into meditation and a number of various other sort of esoteric ideas were starting to percolate into my system. And uh, I was working uh, this job and my employer mentioned the word Vipassana and that he had gone and uh, I looked it up and immediately it was like a hit. I was like, oh my gosh, I must go do this. It's 10 day meditation courses by a donation. You just sit in silence for 10 days. And I went and it was such a game changer for me. It was one of those mm -hmm. extraordinarily pivotal moments of my life. Absolutely. In terms of teaching me um, what it means to develop awareness and strength of mind and the recognition of how absolutely monkey mind and weak minded I was and um, mm -hmm. and how people and you know they just that's our general orientation. Why are they not teaching this in schools? Meditation, my goodness, is such an extraordinary gift. Um, mm -hmm. Truly profound practice for just yeah being equanimous and centered and um, understanding the origins of suffering, not through like some intellectual. This is what the causes of suffering are, but through your own direct experience, like witnessing within the framework of the mind body how suffering is generated and then and then the way out of it and in terms is just you know witnessing and having awareness and um being present with uh was what came out of that and uh, i sat a dozen or so of those courses uh over the next from the period of 2008 uh I don't know, 2015 or something like that, somewhere in there. So you went from a deep kind of religious background upbringing to <clears throat> science and quantum physics, and then you discovered kind of this new um, channel for you to explore. Like, how was it for you to, to discover that, that shift in you and what changed in you at that time when you were, you know, meeting plant medicines or doing your first Vipassana? Like, what was the kind of largest shift you experienced within your worldview and yourself? Well, yeah, to be fair, in that sort of high school period, as many of us do in that period, without, you know, the classic rites of passage that used to exist, who knows how long ago, um, I was I was in a bit of a rebellious mode, and probably fair to say I was kind of a dickhead. In, in a lot of different ways. And um, uh, I ended up exploring and encountering marijuana, which I used pretty recreationally and probably had a fairly abusive relationship with it in those years. Um, and at the same time, you know, there was some medicine in it. And uh, I had some also initial encounters with, with uh, manga, mushrooms and... Uh, that was broadening the horizons for sure, but it was all, it was like a recreational context. There wasn't what I ended up discovering, um, the, the ceremonial aspect of how those experiences can be held. Um, mm. and, uh, can you reframe that question just one more time? So I be clear that I'm speaking to what you just asked. Well, there's a, there's a transition between kind of your lived experience from religion to science to kind of the healing space. 
Um, and as you were interfacing with these new modalities and new medicines, um, what was, if any, a, a shift that occurred to you at that time around your worldview? Like what was different before and after those experiences that kind of helped shift the future of Chris? Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of ended com ended up coming full circle in terms of really respecting my roots and the tradition that I was brought up in and, and having the capacity to witness, you know, the rays of truth and wisdom that exist in, in Christianity and in the Catholic faith. Um, and not mm -hmm. only there, but across, you know, a lot of the great traditions of our time, there are um, nuggets of gold in there, just little pointers. Those are like fingers pointing at the moons, you know, it's not, the truth isn't contained in the words or in the message, but in, you know, the uh, embodiment of what's being pointed to. Um, and uh, uh, so I kind of came full circle into that and really learned how to respect and honor my upbringing. Yeah. And what happened after your first ceremony experience with grandmother? Can you walk us through that a little bit? For sure. So I had been in a Vipassana course a month prior to that first encounter. Um, I was in university, like my last year of university. Um, managed to get into some upper level psychology classes and was studying psychopharmacology and had been reading about ayahuasca. And as it turned out, I was doing a paper on the, the therapeutic benefits of it as a uh, public relations piece. And um, I was going to university in the Fraser Valley um, a fairly conservative zone of the lower mainland, let's say. And there was maybe one other alternative kind of cat, let's call him a hippie that was kicking around campus. And I ended up finding my way to him and, um, he was talking about DMT and I'm not sure what variety of DMT he was inviting me to consider partaking of, but I went over to his house and was like, this sounds like something to explore. I've read some of this and, take a crack at it and uh as it turned out it the um it didn't it didn't uh it just didn't work it was sort of like a dead experience let's say and thankfully so because mm -hmm. his partner had a connection to um the santo daimi and so i ended up sitting with the santo daimi uh two days and um for those of you that you don't know, the Santo Daimi is a, a religious organization that sprung up around the use of, of ayahuasca uh, out of Brazil. Uh, it has these elements of Christianity and Santeria and uh, some of like the, the tribal, I think, Yawanawa influence. And um, um, it was a pretty unique experience. Um, I, I haven't sat with them again since, and, and although I'm, I'm open and curious to, um, but uh, they drink during the day, which is somewhat atypical of, of uh, the, the general understanding of, of how ayahuasca works. And, um, and uh, so we're sitting there, men and women are on opposite sides. Uh, the, they call in that, uh, tradition ayahuasca the daimi and you come up and you receive it as a sacrament which i very much hold it as a sacrament um all of the members mm -hmm. of the entheogenic pantheon certainly can be held as sacraments for sure um mm -hmm. 
So we all drink. There's some hymns. We're sitting there meditating. Okay, what's going to happen here? And all of a sudden I hear this. And you're all on chairs, right? So <laughs> like, totally. You're all sitting on like probably slightly uncomfortable chairs during the whole process. For right? sure. You know, those fold up chairs that, yeah, exactly. And uh, all of a sudden I hear this, boom. I open my eyes and look over and fellow just the row up for me is like falling out of his chair and on the floor <laughs> people are coming and helping him get back into his seat I'm like, oh that was interesting <laughs> sitting there okay what's gonna happen da, da, da. meditating all of a sudden boom <laughs> i look up the guy right in front of me douche falls out of his chair I was like, <laughs> holy cow what's going on here and what were you feeling at the time like it was your first experience like you didn't know what you were going to get into like as always with plant medicine the first time you try something there's like a lot of nervousness and mm -hmm. anxiety and like what were you feeling and how how did you interface with that feeling of drinking for the first time yeah well i brought the meditation practice into it and um i'll probably speak a little bit more on that later around um how much i think that's a valuable thing to um, at least get anchored into, to some extent, you know, a meditation practice. If you can sink that in while I'm speaking to it now, if you can sink that in before you come to, uh, your explorations of, of, uh, entheogens, psychedelics, uh, that would be useful. It'll serve you immensely. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think I didn't have as I recall, the medicine took a while to, to come on. And, um, I do remember a few distinct pieces over those two days. Uh, one was, I was sitting there, there were some visionary elements starting to unfold, but what I realized was that it, I couldn't recall when I had last taken a breath and it was like I had stopped breathing and there was nothing wrong with that um and yeah, it was very very centered um it was just a unique flavor of the experience not necessarily what this is all about but that's what i recall of that and then on the second day the padrino stacked yopo into the ayahuasca um portion of of the work and uh I didn't, I don't think I really knew what Yopo was, but it, for those that don't, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a snuff and it's blown up through a pipe into the nostrils. And, um, it also has DMT in it and, and the spirit of its own. And, uh, when that happened, I ended up going for this opportunity. And, uh, it was in that moment where I had this, just this beautiful, presence of the spirit show up and say hi and uh mm -hmm. it was very invitational um and very clear and it was at that point that i knew i was going to be going to uh, south america and uh so i finished university and while i was going to university uh, you mentioned the wildfire work i was i became a wildfire crew leader really sank my teeth into the industry, uh, at the level of a contractor. I worked with a contract company for, uh, the majority of my career. And, um, so we had a, a good wildfire season, you know, in days, th mm -hmm. those days, uh, lightning bolts were, were like 
dollar signs in my eyes. Um, <laughs> why, why did you first uh, start working as a wildfire uh, person? Like, what, what was the kind of intention behind that? Was it like protecting the environment? Was it like the, the physicality of it? Like, what drove you to that? Yeah, I've got an affinity to adventure. Um, and I've always been drawn to the uh, natural forces of the earth. Um, earthquakes, volcanoes, avalanches, um, tsunamis, uh, you know, wild weather, tornadoes, all those like immensely powerful elements I've been fascinated by. And so signing up for wildfire suppression is what they call it. And suppression is what it is. And as I journeyed down the path of the wildfire industry, um, I learned a lot of things about that. And, uh, and so in a sense, in the beginning, it was about the proximity to, to that wildfire. Um, yeah. And what was the fire that was burning within you to guide you to South America? What was the burning desire underneath all that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think just the fires of truth. I think, uh, you know, a real sincere, uh, desire to understand who I am, um, to, mm -hmm. to pursue healing, to, uh, uh, come out of suffering. Um, Yeah, to grow and learn and and get into the depths of both what the nature of reality is. Yeah, I have real curiosity about that. You know, there's more to all of this than meets mm -hmm. than meets the eye. And uh, these medicines, these plant teachers, um, are pretty adept at uh, helping to guide our awareness into the more subtle nuances of of what it means to be alive in this miraculous existence. And was there a kind of a, a zeal or dissatisfaction in your life that were you were looking to illuminate or, or deepen your understanding of how you can best support yourself? Was there something around that as well? Or uh, we are purely driven by the sense of the elements and the adventures. Uh, well, I think there was some recognition of my own uh, wounding of my own sort of limited beliefs and a desire to, to move beyond that, um, seek a greater harmony with life. Um, there was a, I think a novelty in it, a real sort of pioneering fringish element that was you know, this is unique and totally out of the ordinary. Uh, and also it was something that was facilitating that continued sense of wanting to connect and commune with this, this higher purpose, um, with, uh, divinity, um, and to come into relationship with that, uh, I mean, I think ultimately there really, there was a spirit of guidance, all of the different threads and, and 
pieces that have availed themselves to me in my life, Jurassic, starting with Jurassic Park almost, and maybe earlier uh, with other, well, my whole upbringing, let's say, you know, the parents that I chose for this incarnation helped to shape my orientation as well, including all of the the uh the wounding that we all experience in our in our upbringing um so uh just curious to get to the core and uh yeah live an extraordinary life pretty much and so you're you've got this vipassana experience you've got a little bit of medicine experience you feel the call to go to south america what happens next Right, so that wicked wildfire season that I was alluding to um, funded the my first trip to South America, um, and uh, so grateful for some of my friends here. As I, you know, unbeknownst to me, there was already a a community, a thread of the medicine present in in uh, Nelson. Cats out of the bag, and. Um, yeah, this friend said, you should check out Diego Palma. He's in the Sacred Valley. Um, da, 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 da. And uh, so I looked up the Sacred Valley tribe and got onto the website and Diego was posting videos on different things. And he posted this video on how he had just sat a Vipassana course and, and then in his experience with the medicine and how extraordinary that was. And I thought, wow, this guy is weaving these two things together. Amazing. I've kind of already done that. And... Um, uh, this is somebody I want to, I want to check out. And, you know, after those experiences, I was, yeah, well, that first experience, let's say, and with the intention of going to South America, my intention to go to South America and pursue all of this was, was pretty zealous. And I was recklessly keen. I, you know, I knew very little about what it was that I was getting into. And that's very common of a lot of people that enter the psychedelic space, that zeal of, you know, I, I need this right now. I need to do this. And so how that recklessness can lead to beautiful things. It also can lead to some darker places. And we can talk about that a little bit later around like vetting retreats and guides and all that stuff. And, um, what did, did you learn something from that zealousness at first? Like what, you know, going to South America to, I guess, did you meet Diego Palma and you, you sat with him or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's some danger in the zeal, but, um, with uh, the right guidance. And I mean, I think ultimately for me, and this isn't the case for everybody, but I was pretty well resourced in myself, in trusting my capacity to, you know, travel to a foreign place. I ended up, I started the trip in Ecuador. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll leave the, educational piece around what not to do for a little bit later, but started the trip in Ecuador. Yeah. I went immediately to the jungle. Actually, I went straight to the jungle and, um, well, let's just dive into it since it's alive right now. I went straight to the jungle with these friends who were exploring a cacao plantation with some of the, um, indigenous folks in, in that area. And, um, I, I ended up asking the guy that we were going down there with, cause he was talking about all the different plants in the jungle and showing us these different things. And I said, like, Hey, do you know how to make ayahuasca? He's like, Oh, ayahuasca, like star Wars. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guerreros de los Galacticos. And, uh, his grandfather, <laughs> I think was a, maybe a medicine man or had some more association with it. He knew about the plant, but didn't really know what it, 
entailed working with it in a in a uh, ceremonious way. So he went ahead and, and mm-hmm. prepared this for me because here I am, this tourist, I guess, or who knows what, just asking for this thing and this experience and um, pretty ignorant. And he prepares this stuff and and then serves it to us just as night's coming on unceremoniously and with like a shot of hard liquor to chase it down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's like, all right, and went for it. And, uh, everyone else kind of had hit the sack somehow. And I'm out there in the jungle, like meditating like, okay, yeah, this is it. I'm in the jungle. This is happening right on. (laughs) And then nothing was really happening. I was like, okay, all right. Well, (laughs) interesting. So I hadn't set myself up a place to sleep outside of these huts. There was a hammock and I was like, all right, I'll just crash in here. And, um, I woke up partway through the night feeling horrific. I was getting worked, just destroyed. And uh, mm. it was a rough, rough, rough experience. Um, and in some senses kind of felt like, uh, I mean, part of it was just the the misguided element and the misguided approach. And, and um, sometimes the experience is just like that in the best of, you know, ceremonial context. But um, anyhow, Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was a lesson learned there, um, which I still didn't put together until later because I still wasn't quite grasping the uh, significance of what the ceremonial context provides. So I made it out of Ecuador. I climbed Chimborazo. I did some surfing, realized I wanted to get a motorcycle, found one in uh, Buenos Aires, Bought a KLR 650, um, glorious bike. Got it from this awesome guy, Alex Chacon is his name. Um, and we rode together on this bike to Iguazu Falls. We had some adventures. We were following in the trails of uh, Che Guevara, more or less. Two guys, <laughs> this motorcycle. We had to ride together for five days for a few reasons. Part of it was the paperwork. Part of it was like, I didn't want to leave Buenos Aires on a bike because I'd only really ridden a motorcycle like a couple times prior to that. And uh, mm. <laughs> so we had a good time. And uh, I often joke, you know, ch- my revolution was the inner revolution, the, ev- the revolution I was pursuing. Um, and, uh, mm. But anyhow, made my way out of Argentina and across the continent. My goodness it was absolutely glorious um and motorcycle travel will be a part of future retreat offerings just planting that seed it's coming Mm -hmm. but um i ended up in the sacred valley and i met i sought out diego palma and we met and i sat with him and, and things started to really crystallize as far as what ceremony is about and how it's held and how the medicine works. And, um, my inspiration just continued to grow. And, um, I think I sat about a dozen or so times over the course of, uh, the month that I spent in the sacred Valley and, um, worked with Diego and a few different facilitators that were under his wing and 
encountered some Shipipo maestros as well and um, had some you know varied experiences in terms of uh, the medicine work and how it's offered and um, yeah went through a lot of transformation it was a pretty catalyzed uh, time of growth and uh, was also I think the Saturn returned I was 27 so there was some significance there in mm -hmm. terms of the timing of all of this and uh, the last circle mm -hmm. that I sat before I left was with a, a facilitator by the name of Herman Virguez he lives in Mexico now and we'll be organizing a, a retreat with him in December, November. Um, and uh, it was a daytime experience. And uh, I went into a pretty significantly cathartic process. And while he was like working it, attempting to get me kind of grounded and in my center and, you know, facilitating the, the getting through that process, he sang this song. And as he was singing, all of a sudden my voice just went boop and we started singing together and it was, I was in such a surrendered state. It was such a beautiful gift. It was another one of those pivotal moments in my relationship to this work um, where I realized. Did that open your voice? Yeah. Did that open your voice from that? It, that uh, it basically said, this is, this is a gift for you to cultivate and grow. And, um, and I never realized it was there. It may have preexisted that experience, but in this state, it was, it was very much, um, like I, it was a pretty clear calling to the work from the get go. And that's not the case for everybody. And, um, but I knew it was going to be a significant part of my life. In fact, after the first couple ceremonies, I went to Diego and I was like, do you take on apprentices? And he goes, well, can you sing? Do you play any instruments? And I remember feeling a little bit dejected and was like, no, like not really. Like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it became clear. And then in that, that final ceremony before I left, um, it became really clear. And, uh, not long after that, I picked up a guitar and, uh, was delighted to discover there was a bridge between the sacred Valley and Nelson. And I was able to continue growing the relationship and, and doing the work and, um, Mm -hmm. And what did you learn about ceremony in that time? Because the path kind of highlighted this, this aspect of it that you know, sometimes you're in the hospital, sometimes you're in university and sometimes you're in church and sometimes it's kind of a mix of all three at the same time. And, um, but the ultimate essence of it is that at partaking of these sacraments, these medicines, um, these teachers, uh, you know, the demarcating a beginning to this is what we are entering into and then going through that experience and then similarly demarcating the close, like that work has been completed for this point in time now go forth and uh, integrate or, you know, weave the, the, the gems of insight and um, uh, healing and learning into your life and, uh, and grow that. Um, you 
Yeah, so it, the, the ceremonial element of having a clear beginning, a clear ending, and then the orchestration of the process in the in a group field. What I learned um, also is that there is very much a group field and that everyone sitting in the circle, holding space for each other, going through the experience together, the connections, the... the um, to witness each other in that way, to hold space in that way. And, you know, you're not really necessarily witnessing someone directly because you're all in the dark, typically. Um, it's, uh, yeah, deep teachings about the the interconnectivity of everything and, and beyond even the teaching, but just the direct experience of that interconnectivity um, comes from the ceremonial experience. Um, yeah, learning aspects of one's, you know, what has influenced my behavior over the years and, and the beliefs that have given shape to my behavior and how those deep beliefs were adopted and how that can be let go, you know, surrender is a big, uh, theme of, mm -hmm. of ceremonial experience. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And what did you learn about the um, cultural context while you were there. That those are probably new practices, new um, ways of seeing the world, new practices, and and new language as well around you know medicine work and and ceremony. Like, what are some of the key things that you experienced at first that were um, that enrich your path and maybe have stayed mm. with you since then? Yeah, great question. Well, I am profoundly grateful that. I came into the medicine work through Diego Palma and uh, the, the Sacred Valley tribe. The, the uh, flavor of how those ceremonies were shaped and are shaped is, uh, you know, beginning very much in, in, a, in an indigenous thread and acknowledging the, the tribes and the cultures of the Amazon um, and the people of the Andes. Uh, was very much like a, the foundational beginning place and the medicine would kind of be called in through the, the Ikaros, um, the songs of the plants. But then what would happen is, you know, mantras and um, sacred phrases from different traditions across the globe would end up getting woven into the ceremonial space and the, the power of, of mantra that I experienced was, extraordinary it was really um really beautiful uh so there's that yeah that uh there was a cross-cultural element in there kind of this globalized universal connection that uh got created in in those particular ceremonies and then uh yeah, sitting with the shipipos was also really very tribal very unique way of connecting with the medicine um, and uh, I mean there's I think 70 different indigenous cultures across the whole Amazon basin that that work with these plants and um, yeah there's a, a unique a unique uh, way in which it's held through each of them and then even within a particular culture let's say ultimately it, the way that it's being facilitated is shaped through the uniqueness of every uh, 
of every person. And then even with that one singular person, every ceremony that you may sit with that person also is like a unique experience. It's never really, it's always like, what's the spirit going to call forth in this one? And does it, what does it relate to? So many influential elements, the position of the stars and the planets. And, you know, it's, it's just always, it's always a new experience. Mm hmm. That's very true. Um, and from that experience with the Sacred Valley people, um, your motorcycle journey continued or was, was that kind of the end of it? And you stayed yep. there for a month or so, right? Like, and that was a pretty long trip from Argentina <clears throat> to there. And what happened after, that, after I, that? I carried my way back to Ecuador. Um, I got fairly connected into this little town of Vilcabamba and, um, I was interwoven into a few, a couple of romances. And, uh, and so that kind of was driving me back to, to Ecuador. And, um, yeah, so I made my way back to Ecuador and, um, danced into a few, few varying experiences there. And then, uh, yeah, it was five months in total that I was down there. I think mean, I was 8,000 miles across the, the whole continent and uh it was, uh, it was a good time it's quite the adventure <laughs> and the, what changed in you after that journey to south america like there, was that a pivotal moment where you can i mean i'm sure it was because of the number of deep experiences you had but what changed in you? Did you come back to Nelson a different man completely? <clears throat> what, what would you determine as the kind of key points that changed? Well, I had a beard. I had a beard like <laughs> this big, big and my hair was like <laughs> grown out all along. And uh, I, was, I was a little wild. I was uh, footloose, fancy free, um, keen. It was like university had just started. <laughs> I just finished university, but it was like, whoa, my studies are just getting kicked off here. And, um, yeah, continued wildfire work, and uh, that was ongoing tuition for my facilitating my growing connection with the medicine. Um, shortly after I got back, in, I met Lindsay in the ceremonial context, my my life partner, and uh, so that premonition of John McMullen's around finding love was pretty accurate <laughs> in the in the way that it manifested. Yeah, Amazing. For sure. So which one came first, his prediction or that happening? Maybe he's a, he could see in the future a little bit. He's a profoundly <laughs> intuitive uh, individual. Um, highly recommend checking him out for uh, coaching. Um, that came first. That was around the time where I met JP Sears. It was in my sort of middle university years. It was before the medicine. So when, he said, at the age of 25, you're going to find love. I was 25 when I encountered ayahuasca with the Santo Daime. And uh, I can only mm -hmm. attribute what he was referring to to that. Is it true? I don't know. Sounds good. Um, well, it speaks to the power of words, too, like the power of of words to create change in the world. And, um, you know, John was a a teacher to you very early on and Diego Palma was another one and other people from the Sacred Valley tribe. Um, has there been other teachers along the way that 
either said something that unknown to you at the time would change your path or maybe there's teachers that you've been ongoingly um, working with or connecting with or uh, what are some other key teachers and what what did it mm -hmm. uh, teach you along the way uh my mother jara has uh he gave me some pretty strong counsel around um around uh taking one's time and uh just in terms of uh readiness and embracing the huge responsibility of, of medicine work as a facilitator. Um, that's a really important one too, like, uh, especially, you know, as the emergence of psychedelics is coming to higher energies, there's a lot of people that serve medicine, uh, with very little experience and that's, you know, with, with yourself and some others I, I've seen in the space, that dedication to time and patience, uh, to me is like what leads to the, the sweetest fruits and the, the highest integrity in the way that you mm -hmm. interface with the spaces. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I was, uh, profoundly grateful for that, that, uh, I almost call it tough love and, um, and that encouragement to really slow it down. And I've since developed actually a, a wildfire analogy where, you know, when I first got into the wildfire industry, I was like, had this whole romanticized ideal of what it was to go fight a forest fire. And it's like, yeah, it's going to be like this. And that's pretty Pulaski's and fire and a helicopter and da, 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 da. And, you know, to some extent, it was all those things. And um, there's a lot more to it. And as I grew on that path and, and progressed, um, went from firefighter to crew leader to, I held a lot of different positions, became a tree faller, um, was put in the role of incident command on various fires, um, managed at one point in Alberta, a 15,000 hectare fire, multiple crews, helicopters, bucket ships, all the jazz. It was an extraordinary amount of responsibility that at first was really daunting. In the end, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was a great opportunity. And coming into that leadership and going down the road and developing the experience, then seeing these young guys come onto my cruise all like with the romanticized ideal of what a wildfire is and like, okay, guys, hold on, just slow down. Like, well, it's going to, it's going to be like this when it's like this, but when it's not like this, you know, it's actually a lot like this. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and sort of like not wanting to completely flatten the enthusiasm, but just painting a little more of a reality around what the situation is. And so to just weave that back into the plant medicine work, you know, I think there was a point in time where I had a very romanticized ideal of what it meant to facilitate these experiences. And, um, uh, you know, some of the wisdom that I received was... I almost wouldn't wish this work on anybody. Like it's a tremendous amount of work and, uh, and responsibility. And, um, over the years after receiving that, that guidance, it started to really like click for me. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, always, no matter what, focusing on my own work. And as, as that takes me into the different places, then things unfold like facilitation, which, which is happening. Um, but with the recognition now of, of 
a growing recognition, let's say, a, 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 an ever deepening recognition of of what it is that it's really being entered into here. And uh, so that was that's been that's been useful. <laughs> Another uh, piece from my uh, current yeah. teacher, who I go on dieta with, um, in the mestizo, in the mestizo sort of uh, lineage of. Don Salonteo, Doña Cristina, Don Jose Campos. We're going down to Campos, Jose's place. Um, he was talking about being in the medicine at one point, and he was working with Lupuna. Lupuna is this this giant tree, beautiful plant plant teacher. And he was getting some some insights and some some teachings. And he goes, "Is this the voice of Lupuna?" And the answer he got back was, "We all speak." from the same voice and that resonated really mm. deeply with me and uh i think is uh something to bring into consideration when we are talking about all the different plant teachers and the the qualities of their spirit to recognize the underlying source intelligence that is the the unified essence of all speaking through these various emissaries of that source, let's say. And they show up quite beautifully in the plant world. And then the plant world teaches mm -hmm. us that that, yeah. that voice is, you know, the speaking to us continuously in every moment. And then allows us to kind of sink in and develop the capacity to to be able to um, hear and channel and express divine will. Yeah, there. That's a beautiful segment into talking about a different type of teacher, the plant teachers. Um, I know it's your experience with obviously ayahuasca and and uh, plant medicines. You've also done multiple dietas with different plants, and you've gone to the jungle many times to do these. I, I love hearing about your quests when you come back home, and I'm like, can't wait to say, hey, Chris, how was your journey into the jungle? Because the way you've interfaced with these teachers, um, it's should deep dedication to going back to the basics and really connecting with the elements, connecting with the teachers, connecting with yourself, connecting with your senses, connecting with the elements of the earth. And you talked about as a growing man, really being excited by the adventures and the elements and you still are, but that kind of motivation to interface with those things, like it's still very present in you. and. You've experienced a lot of those things um, in the last years through these jungle dietas that you could. I would love if you could walk us through how how those adventures unfold for you and how how was it for mm. you to go through them? Mm. And which plant teachers were present along your journey as well when you went there? And um, even in Nelson, you still interface with the plant teachers. I'd love to learn more about mm -hmm. that part of your journey. Well, I guess it was seven years ago. Um, I decided to embark upon my first dieta and, um, yeah, through the Sacred Valley tribe, there was often reference made to Don Jose Campos. I kept hearing this name and, uh, so I, I looked him up and saw that he was hosting dietas, uh, found my way into, into one. And, um, we started off our trip in Bali. Lindsay and I, she was 
taking a, a, a course uh, to become a doula and also um, did her first panchakarma. It's like a intensive Ayurvedic cleanse. And uh, yeah, we had a beautiful time in, in Bali. And then I left a little bit early to start this dieta and uh, landed in Pucalpa to go on this six-hour journey to get to the camp. And it's really a camp. It's totally off-grid, no electricity. Um, you're given a little tambo, this little screened-in hut with a hammock and a bed and a desk. And it's strung out along this trail that runs along this beautiful little river called Renkia. And then there's the Maloka, the ceremonial space in the middle of it all. And um, all the different plants are growing all around. And um, um, the washroom is like a little commode in the middle of the jungle, just behind your tombo. It's like a pit in the ground, basically. Um, and you're getting your food brought to you daily and the food and dieta is pretty simple. It's like beans and rice. Um, the odd, uh, you get this river fish that only eats plants, uh, boca chico, delicious, but very bony. Um, so mm. it's like you're giving up a lot of your typical comforts to really sink in and have this experience of immersion and increasing you know, the taking away all the distractions and the flavors of food and the salt is, uh, um, helps to increase your sensitivity and your ability to connect with the plants. Uh, the, the my first, my first diet, uh, was with Bobinsana and a plant called Pukupanga. And, uh, it was a very profound experience. I, uh, in one of the, ceremonies, I, um, I had this extraordinary vision of a child gestating in the womb. And it felt like I was able to, you know, witness the way our genetics interweave as we incarnate, you know, from our mother and our father. And then the, the breath of life, the quality of spirit and soul that infuses that and there was this really unique quality of timelessness. It was like when we are gestating in the womb, time passes by way more slowly, which makes sense because I think we all have the experience as we age that time appears to be accelerating. And um, I think there's some, my theories on that, are that there's some element of that's just the biological aging process, but maybe there's something on a more grand universal scale around time accelerating and two of those things happening anyways, but there's, there's some time ultimately is kind of an illusion. So, and the way we experience it, I think is reflective of our various stages of life. So this was beautiful. And I kind of felt like mm -hmm. I was being just shown how we incarnate. And, um, I ended up becoming really good friends with this, with this woman that I met in that dieta. And she's been on every single dieta that I've sat since. And, uh, and at that time we were talking about our lives and I was talking about Lindsay and, um, our lives together and, uh, something about children. And she goes, and she's a bit of a sage. She goes, I think you're going to be a father sooner than you think. And I was like, well, you know, I, we know 
I'm sure it's coming down the line. Little did I know, after I left that dieta, Lindsay joined me in the Sacred Valley. I went back to the Sacred Valley, and uh, after two weeks of, of time together down there, exploring various adventures like Asangate and, and it's lining ourselves up for a retreat in the northern part of the country, we discovered that she was pregnant. And uh, as it turned out, that vision, and I feel relatively certain about this, was actually a, an experience of what was happening for her in real time and, and for our son. Um, so wow. the visionary insights uh, that can come through this work are extraordinary. And we don't always put it together, um, what it is at the time. And sometimes also, you know, the it's often to be taken with a grain of salt, what it is that comes to us. And it takes time to really integrate what that means and what the timeline is around how and when it's going to unfold, or even if it will, um, it's, it's often best to hold these things lightly in terms of how you think they may pan out or, or what it means. Mm -hmm. Discernment is the, a new word I learned along my path is the, discern the things that you receive and um use your best judgment and intuition and like you said earlier patience i think time tells everything usually um and time is a great teacher um and so you did your first bobinsana dieta um and what year was that uh, that must have been like 2015 yeah okay and you've you've since gone back to the jungle multiple times and that um at some point you ended up in china as well you talked about that oh, yesterday yeah, sure I'd love to yeah hear so your i china uh, story well i just sat my sixth dieta this uh last june i'll be going back in october i'm sinking into a rhythm of twice a year and um i i love it down there holy smokes i i shed tears the first time i left the jungle actually <laughs> it is such a well, let's yeah, let's yeah. talk about that a bit before going to China. Is um, what do you love about the experience? What do you love about the place and the culture and the the practices? And because it's not easy, it's not like physically or emotionally. I would imagine, you know, you're against the elements. There's like bugs everywhere. Like the food is like not what you're used to. You're living in a very closed, kind of isolated place, full of life around you. Um, but at the same time, you're like living this raw, visceral, wild, exciting, uh, primal experience in the jungle. Um, is it, I mean, I'd venture a guess that for you, like one of the things you love about it is like that what you talked about, which was uh, understanding the essence of things and being in that space probably allows you to open up to that essence a lot easier or in a more direct mm -hmm. way. Is that yeah, kind of it's a very much thing? back to basics. Um, in, uh, in the, uh, in Vipassana, what you're doing is observing yourself, self-observation and, and observing purely the mind-body phenomenon as it is, um, not as you would like it to be, let's say. And 
what ends up happening is you are witnessing the laws of nature as they are unfolding and playing out within yourself. Um, you know, the, the mechanisms that beat my heart and digest my food are unfolding by the same impulse that is um, growing the trees and creating the rain and um, birthing suns. Um, and so when you immerse yourself into the purity of nature and into the depths of that, not only in a meditative way are you, if that's a practice that you're bringing to it, um, having that inner place very available to you, it's being reflected to you directly wherever you look um, through you know, the butterflies and the plants and the insects and all the animals and the, the wildness and the, the just the intense vitality and, and uh, cycles of birth and death happening left, right, and center in, in a whole myriad of different ways. Um, uh, you know, when I first went, you know, it's like, I'm going to the jungle, it's going to be wild. And, uh, you know, the fears of all the different little things that are going to maybe get you or who knows what. And I remember the first night walking into my tombo, there's this massive insect on the wall. I was like, man, I'm not going to sleep with this bug in here. And so I like, took out my little plastic garbage can and like, <laughs> knocked it into the thing and put it out the door, came back in, turned on the light. And by which I mean candle, cause there were no lights. Um, and, uh, there was another one on the wall again, like, and it was in that moment I was like, <laughs> okay, surrender just okay. And, uh, yeah, for sure. And there was this moment of, it just felt like an acceptance where this is it just, well, there's that surrender, but it, it feels like the jungle accepted me to some extent. And there's a real living relationship there now with the, the spirit of nature in all places, but really like, yeah, there's a living relationship there that, uh, Um, is so welcoming. And I mean, I view the place now, I feel so at home there. It, you know, we went from this foreign, wild, dangerous place to being somewhere where I feel very much at home. Um, and, uh, yeah, I could, there's more to be said about that. I think ultimately it's you know, coming home to one's true nature, getting into the core essence of who you really are entails also being able to be curious around how you can discover yourself in everything that appears around you in the people in the environment this is like uh there's an aspect of of my true nature in all of that and uh um mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing to open up to and like when i say these like it's so important to not just take my word for it and you know be with yourself in your own journey of unfolding this, this truth of unity. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well said. Um, um, 
going back to your first experience and, and what you've learned since then, uh, walking the journey and these medicine adventures you've been on and the multiple dietas you've been into and the jungle trips and all that stuff. Um, there's a big emergence of the psychedelic space these days. Like things are accelerating, expanding. There's multiple different kind of types of players coming in and lots of money is being poured into the space. Um, and you've had your own personal experiences uh, in a very direct way with different facilitators and practitioners and and coaches and different containers. Um, what could you share around your experience um, regarding vet vetting facilitators? It's a question we get a lot at Nectar is like, um, how should I vet my guide or practitioner? And we've all heard the stories of um, you know physical abuse and uh, you know unexperienced guides or people that you know, flip out on their own ceremony. I've heard stories of facilitators actually flipping out in their own ceremonies. Um, how do you see what makes a good facilitator and what makes a poor one and how can someone navigate that space when they're starting out or they don't quite have the referral network that some people that have more experience have? How, what would you advise to people to look for and, and, and ways to navigate mm -hmm. the space, which could be very daunting at first. Yeah. Well, I would say definitely take your time and, uh, also to not just take anybody's word for it. You know, you'll have your trusted sources. Um, so for me, when I, I landed in Ecuador and, um, ended up in this small town of Vilcabamba and was connecting with, lots of alternatively minded folks. And, uh, this one fellow who had a beard and a man bun and, uh, some cool looking clothing was raving about his shaman and, uh, that he was in Cusco and da, 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 da. And I was like, Oh, well, I'll be going through there at some point. So I made a note of this. It's like, this guy sounds awesome. And, uh, so I got the bike, whole trip, ended up landing in Cusco. This is before I got into the Sacred Valley. I was so keen. It was just like, boom, first thing. All right, this guy. And uh, I look, go to his place, and he's got all these different artifacts and stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm looking for this experience. And okay, great. So I follow him in this car on my bike to his house in the hills of Cusco. And... Uh, he served me Wachuma. Thankfully, it was Wachuma. And uh, <laughs> this like weird little opening and had me dance this funny little thing and then sat me down outside in his yard with a tent and a chair. And he basically went inside and was watching television. That's what was going on. <laughs> And I was like, all right, well, whatever. And again, I'm outside, like, <laughs> sitting and meditating and like, blah, blah, blah. And uh, must not have been very good with Chuma. I don't remember experiencing anything that whole night other than his little white puppy that kept coming and grabbing my pant leg and like pulling on it. <laughs> this cute little white puppy puppy. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this feels a little off. This feels like... <laughs> I feel like I kind of just got scammed actually. I'm pretty sure I've, I've been scammed. This is what the hell did I just get myself into? <laughs> and, uh, 
So I survived that experience <laughs> and later came to learn, um, tragically, that a participant died in the hands of this, of this character um, in an ayahuasca ceremony in the jungle. And the guy took this dude and buried him and tried to hide it. And then he got uncovered and found and it was just horrific. Um, not a good example of, of, uh, mm. so if I had vetted him a little more, uh, diligently, you know, we might've had a conversation, which would have been difficult because my Spanish wasn't very good. So that's one thing is, you know, sometimes language barrier is a piece depending on the country that you're going to. Um, so make sure you are able to get some clear questions asked, um, which would include, you know, how's this going to work? What's the dosage? Uh, what's your level of experience? Where are you going to be? Are you partaking? Um, I got a friend, particularly in the ayahuasca world. Don't, don't trick with anybody who's not also partaking of the medicine. Um, and that's that whole context of, of how that medicine is held. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful I made it through that. I made it through my zealous period. So just recognize that you might have some zeal and it can lead you down some, you know, you can be misguided, uh, through that. Um, grateful for all of the wisdom I have today and, and those experiences that I can share with mm -hmm. others so that, uh, they don't make the same mistakes I did. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure. And not settling for the first yeah. facilitator as well. Yeah. It's, it's good to work with different ones mm -hmm. and experience different perspectives and, um, expand your awareness of what makes a good container, what makes a poor one as well. I think true personal experience, we can, a lot of course you can't avoid every poor experience but it, they do show you kind of the way mm -hmm. forward as well in terms of finding the good ones in the future and um yeah what has been your experience of that like uh, have you mostly been privileged enough to work with good facilitators except for this <laughs> guy who buries uh, bodies <laughs> somewhere in the river yeah <laughs> that's a pretty dark that's the darkest one i've heard yet and there's a lot of dark can... ones out there too as well but um what has been your experience with different facilitators and then relatively speaking like what has that taught you around Holding a good condition. Yeah. What does it mean? Well, to hold I mean, and safely? you can look up that particular story. His name is Mancaluto, and, you know, there's lots of stories out there on the internet. And, um, you know, not to, uh, uh, I don't want to get on a high horse. You know, that fellow is a, is a human being like the rest of us. And, um, you know, compassion for, for him and that experience and his way of orienting. And hopefully, you know, he's learned some big lessons from that. Um, and I guess, yeah, on the note of, yeah, for me, I feel really, really grateful that I explored the field and, um, called in a variety of different experiences. I think, I think that is an important thing to do. Um, an analogy I like to bring in with the plant medicine world is that it's like, it's like massage therapy. You know, there's, there's shiatsu and lomi lomi and uh, craniosacral and acupuncture and, uh, you know, all these different forms of body work. And then even within, let's say acupuncture, there's all these different therapists who all practice in their own way. And, um, 
and sometimes it's good to have a variety of those things woven together as as they work in a complementary and holistic way to generate the greatest healing um and sometimes too you'll find something that works better for you than than something else and it's unique entirely to you so uh you know for some people it's it's the daimi is their mm -hmm. thing um and for others it's it's uh you know strict shipipo or yawanawa or blah 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 or da 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 that's it that's there's it's there's it's a huge world and um uh, it can be valuable to just explore a little bit in the beginning and find the thing that works for you um and by the same token when you find the thing that works for you it's good to sink into that another one of uh the teachings from goenka is and he says the same thing you know like explore various modalities of meditation different retreats of this nature of that nature but at some point settle into one because what you're doing is it's like going around trying to dig a well to get to the water and you dig a little bit here and you're like ah, i'm gonna not dig here i'm gonna go dig over a little bit here and you go dig over there a little bit and you never really get down to the depth and sink in to the source of the water uh through that through uh whatever particular modality um so uh, it's valuable to explore the field and it's, uh, also, you know, through that you will get funneled into the thing that is your medicine that, that works for you uniquely. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's been my own experience as well as, um, as I've explored my own path and different modalities and spaces and containers, like just through the harmonic resonance I feel in each one and I can better gauge like what aligns with my system because when it's working well for me like it just feels fluid it just feels like there's smooth there's no sandpaper anywhere like in my body or in my field like I feel like it's just aligned and I feel like I can become like almost one within the environment um, that's harmonic resonance to me it's like even with friends and, and people and, and different medicines like when I feel that I know that is true for me and you're right. There's multiple different perspectives on those things. Um, and I, I'm curious to around like your, as you've navigated, um, many plant medicine experiences and, and deep journeys. Um, what's, uh, what could you say about setting up a foundation for navigating the experience? Like before you enter those experiences, we often talk about the experience itself and, you know, increasingly so in Ectectar, it's, uh, uh, part of our focus is integration. Uh, but preparation is also integration. Um, what is kind of your personal guidelines on how you approach the journey, how you prepare for these jungle trips and these well, deep dietas? I've often said that um, entheogens are like catalysts for the the meditative process. And uh, if one had no experience of meditation before encountering entheogens, the, the the experience often brings you into the space of presence. They, they kind of demand that you come into the present and um, they teach you meditation in, in a sense. Um, however, if you can equip yourself 
with a solid meditation practice and whatever that might be for you for um then you're then you're doing yourself a big favor and um in being able to to navigate the experience with um uh, equanimity let's say you know balance of mind being able to stay in your center um in the midst of all of the intensity that can and does unfold mm-hmm. in in these experiences um yeah, so meditation, absolutely, um, which involves, you know, aspects of presence with the breath and um, intimacy with the breath and body-mind. Um, you know, nutrition is a huge component. You know, the more clear and clean and wholesome you can make your diet as you approach these experiences, uh, that'll set you up well. Um I think there's an element of, of physical fitness that is, is absolutely useful in terms of like the endurance and having the energetic reserves to, to meet the fullness of the experience. I wouldn't say it's a prerequisite, but you know, like if we're talking about how to absolutely maximize things, um, sink into your yoga practice or whatever flavor of, of, uh, fitness or exercise or being out in nature, just steeping, in, in the elements, uh, is a useful way of, of prepping yourself for which you will ultimately be immersed in. Um, yeah, being well rested, uh, removing distractions, getting clear on your intention. You know, why, why I approach this experience? Um, it's not for everybody. That's definitely, I'm, I'm uh, beyond that degree of evangelism and zeal about it. You know, this is not, it's not for everybody, uh, but if it is calling you, then mm-hmm. wonderful. <laughs> and it's not a silver bullet either. Um, it takes a whole array of different support systems and, and different perspectives and teachings and uh, modalities and practices and lived experience to really kind of fully integrate the um, flashes of illumination into everyday life. Um, and speaking of not for everybody, um, you work with and have, um, on a personal level, worked with 5-MeO-DMT, which is called the God Molecule, um, and is often known as the most powerful psychedelic in the world. Um, what's your, when I first took 5-MeO, I was probably the most scared I've ever been in my life before the experience. I was, you know, someone told me like, you need to be ready to die before you take 5-MeO. And I was in that mindset of like, it was a powerful inquiry for me to explore that. Like, am I ready to let go of my, my, myself and, and, you know, my construct. And that was a really deep exploration for me to just even prepare for that experience and, and really sink in that, that question of like, am I ready to, to let go and detach myself from my ego. That was a powerful, even before the experience, that was a powerful time for me. And it turned out to be a blissful experience of, of just complete surrender and, and, and bliss. But, um, it was also extremely powerful. Um, I'm curious, like what, how did you start to work with this powerful medicine and, and what can you say around, um, you know, integrating, 5-MeO DMT and, and preparing for it. Yeah. Um, 
I'm so grateful that that particular sacrament has come into my life. It was on my radar in the early years, and um, I knew at some point there would be a re-encounter there. Um, for me, it's like jumping into a cold lake. Uh, you know it's going to be shocking, and yet you pretty much always come out feeling refreshed. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it's it's given me that opportunity to um, experience the the ultimate surrender. Yeah, there's that death piece. There's a real there's an an, an element of initiation in it. Um, I like to offer it as a rites of passage tool. Um, In a sense, you know, the experience is ineffable. There are not words to describe what um, what unfolds. But um, the pointers of words that I will use goes along some <laughs> these lines. Uh, it's like taking a bath in yourself and dissolving into pure being. It's like that samadhi that, that awakened to this is who I am and I am in the essence of all things and that existence just simply is infinite forever paradise uh, ocean of just pure being in the essence of all things. Hwacha. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. And one, just one, like just the coming into the ones, just the oneness that is undeniable. And uh, and then the irony is that as the as it wears off and you start to coalesce back into the form of mind body phenomena with all of its conditioning and patterns and genetics, um, it's like you can witness the forgetting. Something remains for sure. You are indelibly marked with the experience of the eternal but it's like it's it's there's an element of the cosmic joke in it where um we forget so we can go on to this hero's journey of remembering and um uh, and it's also perfect um yeah Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, how do you integrate that into your everyday life? Um, when I came out of my first experiences with 5MEO, I had the same experience of coming back into the story and coming back into the conditioning and all that stuff. And I remember very visibly like feeling like I could feel it coming in. I could feel the, the, the gap kind of closing in between the two worlds and what remained is this very core essence in myself that <clears throat> um, 
remains as a core essence of myself that brings me joy every day. Like I can trace my life before and after the five MEO experience, which actually you were present for, which I'm really grateful you witnessed that um, transition for me is that um, that bliss, that center of unity, that center of oneness has remained with me at the core of like everything that I, I do. And um, I could feel joy for the very first time in a very felt deep authentic way and it's remained with me for three like two or three years now and i'm curious how um you've integrated those insights because it can feel quite cosmic they can feel quite abstract or subtle sometimes or very powerful in some other ways but um how has that changed your everyday life like how does it change your relationships or your relationship to your, your family your work your friends how you see the world like do you get less caught up in the drama or like we still get caught in the ego and and is it less than before and i'm curious like what your experience of integrating yeah experience integrating 5meo yeah great question um it's probably one of the more difficult experiences to integrate uh i mean the trick is to maintain that sense of reverence and awe for the sacred truth of the miracle of existence and your inseparable part in that um, and and the perfection in in everything um, And again, it's, it's like this experience is not a magic bullet. It's, um, it's, it's unlocking a process of further work of like, I see, I see this. Paradise. How do I live my life in a way that moves towards and accentuates and contributes and operates from a place of knowing that that we are in the grand orchestra here and how can i play my song in a way that is going to contribute to the to the harmony of the whole um as as the whole <laughs> um Is something like that. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautifully put. Beautiful. Where can um, people find you these days? What's coming up for you? Like any plans for this year? Any? Uh, well, I did a microdosing mastermind like with Laura Dawn last summer, and um, it was a wonderful experience. And. Uh, she recently launched something called Grow Medicine, and I felt inspired to uh, contribute to that. When I was last in the jungle, I brought back this phenomenal piece of visionary artwork by a man named Alfredo. who's a student of Pablo Amaringo's, and I'm going to do a fundraiser um, of that painting. Uh, it'll be first first prize. Second prize would be a uh, a seat on a retreat with uh, Adventures in Awakening, which is a part of uh, an offering that I'm curating my, my, uh, practice, my 
business. I'm calling it Rise and Shine. Rise and Shine is time to wake up. Is wake up time. And uh, and uh, second prize, some elements of coaching. Mm-hmm. So I'm working uh, as a soul coach, prep and integration coach um, for those seeking to kind of connect, get connected to the purpose, find fulfillment, uh, move beyond limiting beliefs that may be uh, creating anxiety, depression, lack of uh, connection to life, that kind of a thing. So through a lot of inquiry, we will unfold um, those elements and and uh, line you up with with the harmony of your, your truth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so rise and shine dash now. It's my website. Uh, feel free to check it out. I'm grateful to be uh, a guide on Nectara. You can be find in the found in the community there. Please, please, yeah, reach out. Happy to have a connection and um, curious to hear what what folks are up to. Mm-hmm. And I also say that Chris hosts uh, monthly integration circles with his beloved wife uh, Lindsay, and that uh, um, as I've developed my friendship and understanding of of who Chris is and how he operates in the world, I can say it's a it's a privilege and an honor to to be able to support his work and to share also that to work with him as a as a guide. I think is a beautiful experience of working with someone of really high integrity and dedication and just heartfelt kindness and uh, dedication to the sacredness of this work and just really bow to your, to your process and your journey to arrive here and to share these gifts with the world now.